You guys see this? No, not you podcast listeners. Rojo and John, you see this? Yes, we do. It looks like a green and white box. Yes, it is. It's the runner box shipped to my door. I said I would open it. We had a special p- podcast with NCAA champs Connor Mance and Whitney Orton last Friday. Everyone needs to listen to that. I said I would open the runner box special holiday pack on air. I'm doing it right now. You can get a runner box shipped to you every two months for as little as 28 bucks. Each box has over $50 of great running gear in it. Let me open up here. I'm a little bit jealous because last year I did a unboxing of the runner box on YouTube. And they didn't ask, they didn't send me the gifts this year. They asked me, asking Walton to do it, it looks like. They sent me a couple here. What do we got here? Oh, some marshmallows. Oh, yeah. DirtyBirdEnergy.com. Oh, here's the list. There's, I mean, I can't even count. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. 14 things on the list here. Punch Gunk Bath Bomb Recovery. Choco Zero Bars. Cliff Bar Energy. Nutty Gourmet. Scratch Labs Recovery. Feel Good Superfoods Shot. You got to check it out. TheRunnerBox.com. And if you use code Let's Run 21 for limited time, you will save 10 bucks. Great for you. Great gift for the other runners in your life. TheRunnerBox.com. Link in show notes. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Let's Run.com Track Talk podcast. Plenty to talk about this week. USATF's relationship with Nike is being investigated by the U.S. Attorney's Office. Wayne Kaladi has destroyed the course record at the Manchester Road Race, and Rojo thinks she should move to the marathon immediately. Connor Mance may be targeting the American record in the half marathon this weekend. Newbury Park High School almost perfect scored the California Division I state meet. Shelby Houlihan started a website. Jeffrey Camwarer is returning to the marathon in Valencia this weekend. Weldon, Robert, welcome to the show. I hope you had a happy Thanksgiving, even though your Cowboys lost in devastating fashion to the Las Vegas Raiders. Wow, John. I'm not sure if that was mean holiday spirit or not, but I did have a wonderful holiday. I hope it was wonderful for you and your family as well. I had an amazing Thanksgiving, and I didn't even watch the damn Cowboy game. They're not my team anymore. I, I don't like them. I always said if I wasn't from Dallas, everything about that team would be despicable to me. I had an amazing Thanksgiving for one reason and one reason only. The Let's Run.com VIP subscriber, as we said on last week's show, sent me the super shoes, and I laced them up for the first time ever on Thanksgiving morning. Thousands of people on the internet have seen my instant reaction on Twitter. I'm the only person that really doesn't even have... I don't even have my own Twitter account. And yet, somehow when my face pops up on Twitter, thousands of people watch whatever I do on there. Anyways, what an experience. What an experience. They say there's only one first time, and I agree with it. Robert, I watched the video. Did you actually run at any point? The, the camera didn't look like it was really moving at all. Like It didn't look like there was a noticeable increase in speed between walking and running. Was that your running speed, or were you just walking? Can you explain yourself? 
So for people who don't know what happened, podcast listener, a VIP supporter. By the way, if you want to support us, go to letsrun.com slash subscribe. You get the bonus Friday podcast. You get access to all of Jonathan Galt's featured articles. You can follow posters. I've made two brilliant posts on the message board this week. You'd be notified right away that I had posted and you'd think, wow, Rojo is so smart. I'm glad I know that he posted on page six of the such and such thread. Anyways, they sent me the super shoes. I've been talking about these shoes for years and I wore them. I was honestly, you know, I opened them up on Wednesday, but I was scared to wear them because I've heard so much about these shoes that I thought, okay, they're not going to feel like what I've heard they feel like. I've heard people say they feel like a trampoline, like you're in a bounce house. And I said, you've got to get over your feels. So what you saw was me just walking, John, and then I decided to jog like 50 meters just to see what it felt like. It didn't feel awkward to me at all. Then I took the camera off and ran pretty much as hard as I could for three miles. It was absolutely unbelievable. I was warming up in my normal shoes at 13 minutes per mile. And then I went out and rolled the 20, 30, three miles. I think I went like 710, 650, 630, something like that. This- you, ran a, you ran a 630 mile, Robert. I think we need to get the Let's Run message board sleuths on that. I'm very skeptical of that claim, even with the Vaporflies. Or whatever super shoe you're wearing. I'm not really sure what the brand was. But... I also feel, is this segment not like four years delayed? Like, Robert tries on the super shoes. Do people even care in 2021? Don't we know that super shoes have a big advantage? Like, isn't this something that would have been more appropriate in like 2017? It's like a boomer segment. I almost canceled it and made us start over the whole damn podcast. Big weekend, John, for me. Robert's bearing the lead. Sahil Dada. What do you guys may not be familiar with him? I wasn't even too familiar with him. Except he broke my high school and college teammates' school record of the two-mile last year. But he qualified for the East Bay... I still got to call him Foot Locker, just so people know what I'm talking about for your nationals. Went from glorious St. Mark's High School, my high school in Dallas, Texas. Our first Foot Locker finalist, East Bay finalist ever. John, this guy's improving. He got crushed at his conference meet by 30 seconds. Now he's second in the region? What if he takes it down? What if he takes down the Nationals? Wait, how is that possible? How does a guy lose his conference meet by 30 seconds and qualify for East Bay Nationals? That never used to happen in my day. Um, I think the guy he lost to actually made footwalkers as well. So I think he was fifth in the region. So uh, you still think maybe, he, you know, once he got beat, it's like you got to save something for Zurich. He's like, I got to save something for the regionals. So, congrats to Sahil. Congrats to the, I don't even know. Is Coach Turek still there? The guy who replaced John Kellogg? We used to write articles how the teams weren't doing as well, but now they're they're dominating. Well, actually, while we're handing out congrats, I was someone who ran a footlocker Northeast as a senior in high school. 1613, I think, was my time. Fairly solid for the 5K course. But I got to give big props to Gavin Sherry of Connecticut, who has he's broken the the fabled Van Cortland Park 5K course record. Runs 1505 to win the Northeast Regional. Super impressive run. You know, I, I got to give a shout out to the Northeast when something impressive happens like this. Gavin Sherry, congratulations. Best of luck at Nationals. 
because that record was set my junior year of high school by Don Cabral. Don had the Foot Locker meet record. I think Josh McDougall had actually run faster for the 5K course. But, you know, Don, as we know, great success at Princeton, HEPS champion in cross country, two-time Olympic finalist in the steeple. So an impressive record for Gavin to take down. John and Weldon, enough high school talk. Can we bring this back to talking about yours truly? If we're going to talk about non-elite pros, you might, let's don't talk about high schoolers. Let's talk about Rojo. I've looked it up, John. The stats are on the internet. Assuming my GPS watch, Apple Watch, is correct, 719, 651, 630. Now, the 630 was slightly, the first mile is a little bit uphill, slightly, last mile is a little bit downhill. But that's 2040. Last summer, I was actually training and running a lot, and I trained for a 5K, and I ran 21, like, 10 or something, 21.0 something. This year, I'm not even training. I haven't run, barely I've run like twice in a month. Put these babies on. They're worth a ton. Some people don't think it's relevant that I've run in these shoes. I think it's incredibly relevant. Jonathan Galt has never worn them. Some people think it's disgraceful that we've never worn these shoes. I personally think, like, look, I don't need to have worn them before to know that these marathon times are fast. I didn't need to be in Abu Dhabi three years ago when I was the only person in the world that was watching the race at like 1 a.m. I said, that course is short. Those splits don't make any sense. I don't need to be there to do it. But I do think my personal anecdotes, if you put these on, it's exactly what people have been saying. I felt like I was on a trampoline. I've been raving, walking around about them, about how impressive it is to feel these shoes, that my wife wants me to buy her a pair of super shoes for the holidays just to walk around in. And I'm seriously, again, thinking about starting a shoe company, not to have people running them necessarily, just for my dad or my my mother to feel good when she walks around in their old age. So shoe executives, I've always wanted to have my own company. It'll be made in America. I talked to a big exec at a wedding this summer. Please, I will spend what I have saved on a damn company with this foam in it because it's absolutely amazing. That's all I want to say. Okay, Rojo, get back to me when you file the incorporation papers for that. I will be following it closely and wait its introduction to the New York Stock Exchange. When's the IPO? And I'll start a rival shoe company, John. We'll make our shoes in Vietnam. It's like Adidas and Puma. It'll be like the brewery, guys. You know, who sponsored World Cross Country? Mikola. Yeah, you know Mikola and Evil Twin Brewery? The identical twins rival breweries. They hate each other. Well then, no, no, no. You totally ignored the best example is the Dassler brothers with Adidas and Puma. That's the that's the clear parallel here. But the the biggest concern for me is could Robert beat me in a five k right now? Maybe he's a super responder. I got my Rowate and Turkey Trot hat on here. Let's just say my official time was north of twenty six thirty. This is for a five k. And I'm a guy who's run 28.06 for 10K this century. But I, I've never had this problem. I've never done this. Starting with the masses, it took me forever to get to the start. I had a stroller. I couldn't open up and run until a mile and a half in. And there was no starting mat. So quick question. We should have like a let's run.com seal of approval for races. And I may have to volunteer my services for my local race next year. They had a finishing mat. They had chiming chips, but there's no mat at the start. Like, what's the point? You have to have a mat at the start. And I think maybe should mile markers be required? I have one other idea for the road race requirements for the official Let's Run seal. No strollers. 
the only reason you run with a stroller, I talked to your wife about this, is so that you could run really slow on purpose and then not have to own up to your time. This would be amazing. I beat Weldon consistently in ninth grade every time I think out because I train harder. So when I train harder, I beat him. And if I, I, but I haven't been training, so why would I beat him? Maybe my super shoes were better than your super shoes. All right, guys, I got to jump in and get this thing back on track. We sound like a bunch of old, out-of-touch geezers talking about 26-minute 5Ks and super shoes four years late. Let's talk about something that broke this week. There's a great piece of journalism by Sarah Lodge Butler in Runner's World talking about an investigation by the U.S. Attorney's Office for the District of Columbia into the financial relationship between USATF and Nike. And I don't really know where to start with this because I read the article. Everyone should read the article. It does a good job explaining what we do know and what we don't know. But the biggest question to me that I don't know is, why is this investigation happening? We've known about Nike and USCTF about this contract they signed back in 2014 that eventually, you know, it's eventually basically like a 20 year deal for a little under $500 million. That, that's been public knowledge for a while. So I'm kind of curious what do we make of this and why do we think the US Attorney's Office is now investigating this? arrangement at this point first of all this is amazing journalistic piece by Sarah Lawrence Butler when I saw this I immediately immediately went to the message board well I fell asleep on the floor putting my son to bed 2 1 a.m I woke up I made emergency headline on the on the front page and the more I thought about it John I'm wondering if this ends up being like the Alberto Salazar case and I'm going to spend the rest of the day trying to figure this out. But what do I mean by this? I'm saying, could the actually misdeed, could the criminal activity, folks, don't, don't misunderstand what this means. This is a criminal investigation. When a grand jury subpoena has been investigated, that means, hey, you know, this is the prosecutor's thing a crime has been committed. Um, but could the actual misdeed be stuff that we, could this be like Salazar case in the sense of Salazar got convicted Years later, for stuff that we knew had happened, that he had admitted had happened. Testosterone on his son, uh, L-carnitine experiment, etc. We all knew that happened. And I remember one time, John, you're like, we all were like, wait, isn't this a violation of the rules? Yes, it was a violation of the rules. And yes, he was banned from the sport. And could that be the same thing here, that the actual misdeed, the criminal activity, is something that we already know what happened? Let's just think about this Nike deal for a minute. They've admitted to paying two ex-Nike employees more than $20 million to quote-unquote negotiate a 20-plus no-year, 20-plus you know, sponsorship deal with Nike for their jersey rights, by far the most important and valuable asset that USATF holds. And the deal also happened to enrich Max Siegel to the tune of $6 million. So add it all together, these three individuals do a no-bid deal with Nike. They make $30 million. Nike gets the deal. No one else even gets the right to bid. I mean, doesn't that just... I, I think sometimes, you know, as hyperbole, we say that sounds criminal. Maybe it actually is criminal. So let's just summarize that. Let's hire two ex-employees from a company. They get to negotiate the deal with the former company. We're not going to bid it out to see if another company might pay two or three times more or match it, pay even more. And we all get rich. Like, doesn't that sound criminal? 
No. I No. Why not? I think an answer could be no. It sounds fishy, but okay, above board. We already knew this. It's maybe not how I would do business. It might be against the norms of a nonprofit, but on the surface, is it criminal? I, there has to be more than that. USATF is allowed to hire a firm to negotiate a consultant who gets a percentage of the deal t- to negotiate a deal. That happens. Whether they overpaid for that, whether some, you know, now, excuse me, that happens. They may have paid this firm too much. Even paying the firm too much, I don't think would be criminal. Max Siegel is allowed to have a contract where he gets a bonus because of USATF money. So the things that have happened on their own are not criminal. Could this be done in a criminal way? Of course. And maybe that's what they're looking at. I want to know, why is it happening now? Why is it in Washington, D.C.? Nike's in Portland. USATF is in Indianapolis, as far as I'm concerned, I think. So maybe this got into bigger stuff with the Olympics, and so that's why it's in D.C.? Any law enforcement people contact me? Because I remember talking to somebody, and I think their brother was in the DOJ and FBI, and they were sort of talking about this USATF stuff. Please email us. So I think those are the questions, Marks. Why now? The you know maybe somebody leaked some information. It sounds like the could could the old audit company, which resigned last year, are you allowed to like then go to the feds with something? I don't know. It's just curious that this is going on now. Okay, when I was describing it, I left out one key fact. This was approved by the USATF board. But I just think, don't you have a fiduciary duty to bid the deal out? You're saying it's not criminal. I think the criminality would probably come from Nike's part in the sense of this is could be viewed. I'm going to spend the rest of the day calling a violation of the Sherman Antitrust Act or something similar to that. Okay, now Robert's really stretching it. That's the criminality. Nike told him they couldn't bid it to somebody else. That happens all the time in contracts. Like, let's not go there. I mean, come on. The, the insider relationship between Nike, the board, and Max Siegel is well-established. Max Siegel was on the board. The board hired him to be the CEO. Everyone on the board is sort of buddies with Max or friends with Max or a lot of close relationship there. Not everybody. They sort of rubber stamp what he wants to do. Steve Miller, the former chairman of the board, had worked at Nike for a long time. He hired this firm with people who had worked with him at Nike. They got the commission. So there is just all this insider stuff. And at some point, could they have done something for their own interest and not the interest of USATF. And could that be a crime? Yes, I could see that happening. So I I get back to maybe this is like Alberto. We we knew the basics of this all along, but we didn't know for sure a crime was committed. And we still don't know that no one has been charged. Let's keep that that way. And I'm glad that some light's being shown in this. I hope it's all shown to be above board, but all along USATF should be saying, why is Max Siegel getting so much money? Why aren't the the tax returns released immediately when they're done? USATF is supposed to be serving its members, and it's a nonprofit thing, so everything should be as transparent as humanly possible. Weldon keeps saying and writing things like, I hope it all is shown to be above board. I don't hope for anything. I hope for the truth to come out, one, and I hope for change to come at the top. I think it's sickening that someone in a a nonprofit like USATF is making multi-millions of dollars. And (laughs) I don't know this. 
but y'all keep dismissing this? The Sherman Act, yet for over 100 years, the antitrust laws have had the same basic objective, to protect the process of competition for the benefit of consumers. Now, normally it's for consumers to keep prices down, to make sure there's strong incentives for businesses to operate efficiently, efficiently keep prices down and keep quality up. That's from FTC.gov. So normally it's for the consumer. Who would be the consumer here? The consumer would be the USATF membership to keep their membership prices down, to have better products. Like this was not, this is completely anti-competitive. It wasn't bid out. I thought it was wrong at the time. I said, you've got to bid this out. And it looks like somebody else has probably apparently agreed with me. And you're wrong. You're wrong. I mean, you're, you're just completely wrong, Robert. Come on. Well, Robert has gone onto the, the FTC website or FTC website and has now seen a three sentence summary of the Sherman Antitrust Act and is wielding it around like a saber to make pronouncements on this. I mean, do other companies, I don't know, do, do we have other companies that the shareholders are like complaining against the CEO because they made a sponsorship deal and they're saying, this is a violation. You should go to jail because. You didn't bid it out? I mean, it just sounds ludicrous the way you're arguing it. Robert, if this was a violation of the Sherman Act, we've known, for everyone's known, like, it wasn't even hidden. USATF didn't hide it. It was just, like, a procedural thing. You negotiate a contract without publicly announcing it and bidding it out. That's criminal, and you can go to jail. Like, businessmen everywhere, every nonprofit will be going to jail. It's just, that's so comical on the face. Normally, they end up paying huge civil penalties they, they they pay money out they don't normally go to jail for this type of thing they may make nike pay a 50 million dollar penalty this isn't that complicated robert you think robert you think nike every time with the world cup bids that a lot of times they just say the olympics re-signed with nbc no one else was allowed to bid that happens all the time so meb kofleski has to like when they're negotiating they have to like go to every company. That's not Robert. I mean, like, come on. There's I mean, anti-competitive some, stuff in business all the time. I just, I just, some, I think it makes them look dumb. I think we need to take it out. Is is every runner contract's right of first refusal? Is that a violation of the Sherman Antitrust Act because Nike has the right to match? That's not harming consumers, John. That's not harming consumers. That's a one-on-one person. Here, there's a lot of people under the nonprofits umbrella. Look, I'm going to look into this. This is my theory. I've talked to a lawyer about this. They thought that my theory was a pretty good one. Why? We knew about the Alberta Salazar facts for years, too, and nothing happened until they decided to make something of it. So do you think there's just millions of federal lawyers that are going to go after some? There's so much corruption going on in the world that they could pick and choose one of them. They were look. Why is it happening now? It's pretty obvious. They were looking into the how did the. World Championship, they've been looking at these Olympic stuff, the World Championship bids. Why did the Worlds go to Eugene without the normal bidding process being sponsored? And they went to Eugene because Nike is the sponsor there. And what does Nike also sponsor? USATF. So maybe Nike says, hey, USATF, we'll pay you $50 million. Don't negotiate it out. But also, wink, wink, we want the world to support that. Maybe that's illegal. This isn't that complicated. Maybe what we already know has happened is somehow viewed illegal. If a if a if the feds get after you and really want to nail you on some technicality, they generally can because it's up to a jury. It, it may not be worth it. Nike may just pay a fine anyways. So we'll see who's proven right, me or you guys. I love how you okay. guys act like John, you have law degrees too. John, notice the sleight of hand then. Then real quickly, he t- changed it to being about the world's bid and tying that in, which is completely different from what he said. No, What I'm saying here is we don't know 
what why they're investigating right now we have some ideas robert's acting as if like oh it has to be a sherman antitrust thing let's just wait and see how this process plays out hopefully we'll learn more about it i have two things to make about points to make about this nike deal one it was a lot of money one as well reported 475 million dollars from 2017 through 2040 it's about 19 million dollars a year i i'm not saying they shouldn't have bid it out i think they should have but i also don't see any other shoe company investing that much money into USATF. Nike always has put the most money into this sport. I would be very surprised if another company would be willing to match that. The second point about that, the commission payment, which is about $23 million. The Runners World article said 5% is standard. Now, $23 million is 5% of $475 million. But you can also say, was it really worth it? Like, I don't know. You can debate whether it was worth it or not, but that does sound like it's industry standard. My final point here. Vin Lanana, during this investigation into the world's bidding process, he was the president of USATF and he was placed on suspension by the USATF board. And they mentioned in the Runner's World article, two things that they are looking into are a Siegel fund and a Washington fund. That refers to Max Siegel, the CEO, and Renee Washington, the COO. It's a subpoena. They're seeking information about two escrow agreements involving those two individuals. Are, is the USATF board going to put both of them on leave in lieu of this investigation? That's a point that's raised in the article. I think it's a fair one because Bill and it seemed very strange that he was placed on leave for a long time. And it was just because he was answering questions in an investigation. Now the COO and the CEO have escrow agreements that are being looked into. Are they going to be suspended? I sus- I'd be surprised if they are, but I think it's a legitimate question to ask. I thought it was great that Sarah asked those questions. Yes, I want to see them be consistent and have them be suspended. But John, give me a break. Just because there's a lot of money, I don't give a shit if Nike overpaid but for the deal. If it's That doesn't mean it's not illegal. The way that USATF and Nike have done things over the, over the years is so not transparent and so wrong for a nonprofit. It's sickening. I've been complaining about it for years, and I'm glad that it's being criminally investigated. That's what I'm saying. I am so happy today to see this. I think we need to have an emergency podcast later in the week with Sarah Lords Butler on here and Will Hobson, the Washington Post reporter in 2016, who broke about the deals about Siegel's huge salary and how he's paying his own marketing company, all this stuff. I mean, it's it's just largesse and sickening stuff for a nonprofit. But John wants to okay it because, you know, oh, those if they overpay, it's fine. If you pay too much, there's no corruption there. That's generally when there is corruption, John. I just want to know why they're investigating them, Robert. I'm not saying there's no crime. I'm not saying there is a crime. I'm just curious why now and why this Nike deal. That's what I think that's what everyone wants to know. And self-dealing is very different than violating the Sherman Antitrust Act. I mean, these are just completely you know, different things. All right. Shall we move on away from the legalese and to st- areas where we are at least self-appointed experts, which is running times and running performances. Do we want to talk about Wayne Kaladi, Manchester Road Race over the weekend? This was a phenomenal run. She destroyed the course record at the Manchester Road Race by over a minute. She ran 21.55 to win. I mean, she was only about 90 seconds behind the men's winner. And this is a race that's a little under five miles. I mean, Robert praised it on the let's run on the week that was sorry it was actually 22:55 course record i should correct that for a 4.74 eight mile course but robert now says she should move immediately to the marathon do, well do you agree with this should she just give up on 
trying to make the U.S. World Championship team a home World Championships in the 10,000, which I think she has a great chance to do in pursuit of marathon glory? No. she She's not going to run a marathon this spring. It's too soon. She could run one next fall, make a world's team in the on the track, you know, in the summer, then do a marathon in the spring. She's obviously a very good road racer. She dominated the U.S. 5K championships at the Abbott finish line at the, at the New York City Marathon. I mean, she just crushed this field. Like, second place. Who, I can't even, wait, who was it? It was a... Uh... Kira D'Amato was second place. And she broke the old course record, but she still was 54 seconds behind Wayne Kaladi. So credit to Kira D'Amato, who ran Chicago. She bounces back a few, you know, a month and a half late. Runs really well. Would have been a great performance. And it's totally overlooked because Wayne Kaladi just had an all-time great run here. Yeah. And this is the premier Thanksgiving turkey trot in the U.S. I guess you could say in the world because Thanksgiving is a U.S. holiday. But there have been a lot of good runners at this race over the years. It's now Connecticut's second favorite race, you know, behind the Rowayton turkey trot in my book. But it's, 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 it's got a, you know, fabled history. And, I mean, Drew Hunter was one minute ahead of her. Drew Hunter, who just won the USATF 5K championships. It's a great run, but then Robert starts doing conversions. Maybe it's like 1430 for a 5K equivalent, which in today's age, okay. But it's, it's not like good she's... good for an American. Yeah, very good. Very, 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 very good. But it's not like she's going to necessarily you know, go out there and start winning the New York City Marathon or something. But she's got U.S. citizenship. This is very good because we need this next generation of marathoners. We got Molly, but Shalane is gone. Desi's on her way out. Amy Craig's gone. Jordan has say, I, I can hold out hope, right? So it's just great to see a young talent like this running great. I mean, but why not let her see what she can do on the track? Maybe she can run a great track time too. Why? Because you just said it. It's 1430. It's not like that. You said it's not going to win the New York City Marathon. It might. Somebody in 1430 shape might win the New York City Marathon. And that was one of the main points I made. You're not winning in the track. You're not beating Safan Hassan or Let's Not Gaudet. She doesn't have the speed. This girl's got a kill. Kaladi's a great distance runner. She's got a 410, 1500 meter PB. She doesn't have the speed to be world class competitive. As I said in the article, if you're not one of the top five person in the track, you're not going to win and you're almost probably not even going to medal. But in the marathon, if you're the 25th best marathon in the world, you're instantly credible in any marathon because the talent gets diluted. And anything can happen in a marathon. And, you know, I, I said, look at the comparisons between her and Molly Seidel. Both won a Foot Locker High School title. Both won the 10,000 and XC titles in the NCAA in the same year. And if she would run, if, if Kaladi would run the half marathon this weekend, and then Boston in April, they would both make their marathon debut at the age of 25, four months after debuting in the half marathon. It would be an eerily similar thing. I think she can be just as good as Molly Seidel in the marathon. Um, you know, it's possible. And that's why I think she should move to the marathon now. Now, a big part of me is motivation. If she wants to do the track first, because that's a goal, whatever, that's fine. But, you know, there's no reason to wait. Well, I think a lot of people waste the prime in the wrong event. Um, I think Sarah Hall did that. I think perhaps Paul Radcliffe did that. 
The last three Olympic women's marathon champions made their marathon debuts at age 20, 21, and 22. She's 25 as of today or yesterday. Happy birthday, uh, Weenie. Get out there. Do what excites you. It's just like the Connor Mance thing. Whatever you're most motivated is fine, but come on. I mean, I guess if a bunch of people don't show up and and they run terrible, maybe she could somehow snag a bronze someday in the 10,000, but no, no, it's not really likely. Go to the marathon. I, I just don't see why can't she do both? Like she could run a 10K in the summer and then run a full marathon. We've seen plenty of athletes do that. And I think, you know, I don't want to get too crazy, but when I see a performance like this, I start thinking, can she get the American record in the 10,000? It's 30, 13 by Molly Huddle. I, I think that's attainable with her talent and, you know, especially with what she's been doing this fall. Like, Run a couple, you know, run a track season and then run a full marathon. Run one marathon a year for the next couple of years if you want to do on the track. I don't think, like, Robert's argument is if you can't win or you can't medal on the track, there's no reason to run the track. Well, I, I don't know. Winning some U.S. titles, that sounds fun. Like, going to world championship, contending for a medal. Emily Infeld medaled in the fifth, in the 10,000. Did we ever think we would see that? You know, sometimes if you have a watered down year, she would have a shot at a medal. So, I don't know. I, I think it's fine to pursue both, but... I also do kind of agree. I'd like to see what she does in the marathon sooner than later, because if it turns out that's her best event, you know, you want to be running as many marathons as you can. Yes. If she wants to get the 10,000 record, go for it. Emily Enfield's a good example. She's better than Emily Enfield, I think, um, you know, talent-wise. Look, when Under Armour signed her, and I paid close attention to Under Armour because they're based here in Baltimore, I thought, look, they this was a smart move. They want her to be the female map. Eritrean board went to the high school in the U.S. won a Footlocker title. NCAA star now looks like she's going to be, you know, a professional star. So um, that's exciting. But if you're going to do this stuff, announce it as a goal. By the way, folks, if you did not listen to the Friday bonus podcast with Connor Mance, I wasn't on the interview with Connor Mance, but I listened to. Honestly, I think I've only listened to the first 15 minutes. I was so excited by that interview, I couldn't believe it. And I'm glad you guys wrote an article about it, the highlights, how he wants to get the half marathon record. And his answers to some of the questions about how he was, what he was thinking in the race were fascinating to me, but also about his view on pressure and how he's excited. His freshman year, like, I couldn't believe the rest of the team didn't do well in NCAAs. It's like, if you get 40 to 30, who cares? It's fun. I thought, I hope a shoe executive is listening to that. And going to pay him a ton of money because the mindset was right. The excitement, the marketing, like, I'm going to go for this. I'm not afraid to race. It was amazing. If I was a shoe exec, I'm like, not only does he have the talent with NCAA titles, he's got the mindset that I would want. Pay this guy a boatload of money. I, we were so impressed. I called up Weldon and we have some breaking news to around. Let's run nation. We've made a four-figure sponsorship offer to Mr. Connor Rance to wear the Let's Run, not the singlet. The singlet is currently on vacation in the Netherlands. It's unavailable. And the Let's Run iconic yellow t-shirt four-figure sponsorship offer to run it in this week's half marathon up to and with a five-figure guaranteed payment if he breaks the 59-43 half marathon record. That That Offer is on the table for Mr. Mance to take it if he wants it. Well, the offer was shot down immediately. I'm not sure what that means, but do you think the agent, how, how do we know it even got to him? 
No, I did send it to Ray Flynn. He said this, you know, thank you, but this isn't an option. So I said, does this mean he's going to have a contract and be in the damn race? And he said, we'll let you know. So this is why we need another board of directors. Maybe we should just have like standing offers. You win a national championship in the Let's Run.com shirt, you get X amount of dollars. You break an American record, you get Y amount of dollars. But everyone, if you win a race with more than 20 people, you get a free shirt. So go to Let's Run.com, shop.letsrun.com, get your free shirt, win the race. That URL is shop.letsrun.com. I do have a question, though. Did this come down to a uniform preference? Because from what I've understood, the Let's Run singlet may not have been available. It may not have been able to be shipped to Connor in time for the race. And that would have forced him instead to write race in the equally beautiful Let's Run.com t-shirt. But I can understand some people in his professional debut, he might not have wanted to wear a t-shirt instead of a singlet. Was this the key issue in him not signing with Let's Run.com? John, I'm pretty sure I didn't even tell Ray that about the t-shirt single distinction yet. I figured I'd get there when we got to that point. But didn't Bill Rogers back in the day wear t-shirts? I feel like he'd be winning the Boston Marathon and have a t-shirt underneath a singlet. Yeah, I seem to remember seeing a, a picture of that. Well, this leads to the obvious question. Is there a start list out for this weekend's USATF Half Marathon Championships? And is Connor Mance on it? Because if he is, I assume that means he has a sponsorship. Because when I heard him talking to you guys, he's like, well, I may not run it. It sounds like he wasn't going to run it if he wasn't sponsored. So do we have a start list? Is he on it? Is Wayne Kaladi on it? Be a good excuse to talk about this race briefly. So there, there is an l- entry list. Uh, I was forwarded this by Let's Run Podcast listener Clint McKelvey. And it was very helpful because he was telling me, you know, he ran this race last year and he was running it again this year. And it's a very fast race. You know, they set it up last year, but it's a loop course, three and a half laps of the same loop. The elevation profile, the, it's a <laughs> it's a total elevation gain of less than 30 feet for 13.1 miles, Clint says. So it's going to be a very fast course. And I looked at the website to see the entrance in there. Connor Mance is listed in there. Now it is a Connor Mance with C-O-N-N-O-R, which is not how Connor spells his name. It's C-O-N-N-E-R. So maybe the race director or someone in there put in the wrong name. I don't know. But he is listed. You know, it doesn't mean he's going to stop, but he's listed among the entrants. And then the other people in there, you know, Clint said that Connor's brief list on the podcast last week didn't really do the field justice. It also includes Leonard Corris, Sam Chalanga, Lawi Lang, Frank Lara, who just ran 61 flat in Valencia, Harold Lagarde, Morgan Pearson, who is very fit, according to Clint, and Brogan Austin, who said on Strava after the Indy half marathon, I believe that he's in sub 61 minute shape. So Clint here, our expert who's run the race and is running it again this year says it's going to be a very fast course and we've got a bunch of fast guys. So even if Connor doesn't run it, I think we're going to see some fast times, but if Connor does run it, you know, American record, I think it's, it's not out of the question. Well, John, I'm glad you think Mance has a shot at the record if he runs it because I do too. I mean, that podcast got me so pumped well, that and my run in my super shoes. Look, I'm wearing Weldon's Pan Am team gear, John. You see that right there? Stolen the Valor. That's a warm-up shirt that you didn't earn, Robert. I'm feeling like a USATF team member today. But some people on the, on the message board were really pushing back and saying Mance had no shot. Most people were excited that he was going to go for it, but saying you know he might not even break 61 minutes. 
And there were several people, John, that claimed that Frank Laura, who went for the record in Valencia and, and faded, but he was, you know, made a good good effort, by the way, Frank. Congratulations. Faded to 61 flat. Well, several people on the message board are saying Frank Laura and Connor Mance are on similar levels because their 10,000-meter PRs are both, I think, in the 2740s. Do you agree with that assessment? I think Connor Mance has a greater potential, but if you look at that argument, I mean, they ran their 10K PBs in the same race back in May. Connor Mance ran 27.41. Frank Lara ran 2743. Now, at the Olympic trials, Connor Mance kicked the crap out of Frank Lara, but do I think in the half marathon they're similar right now? I don't think that's a stupid argument to make. I mean, again, look at that 10K result from earlier this year. Well, that's why I always ask you for the facts, John. But I made an epic post on the message board. And again, if you are a subscriber, you would know this if you follow me. I think that people acting like they're on the same level are crazy. I said that's like saying Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers backup QB are at a similar level just because they're both in the NFL. And to say that they're similar levels is absurd to me. Mance, in my opinion has always shown himself to be between 7 and 20 seconds per mile better than Frank Laura. I mean, as you mentioned it, at the USA's, um, at the Olympic trials, Lance Mance was 5th, Laura was 18th, 40-second spec. Edge Mance by 7 seconds. At NC, in high school, the guys raced. Mance... At Foot Lockers, Mance was a junior. Laura was a senior. Mance ran 15.23. Laura ran 16.32. That's almost 20 seconds. That's more than 20 seconds a mile slower. You know, in college, they didn't overlap match because Mance did his mission. But Laura was never in the top 80 at NCAA cross country. Mance was top three three times. The difference between third and 80th is about 90 seconds. So that's like 15 seconds a mile. So I've got multiple times to compare their talent levels. And it's a lot. So by my calculations, take seven seconds off Lars half marathon PB. 61 flat, you get 58.29. Hell, just take five seconds off. Per mile, you mean? Yes. And you get 59.54. Okay. What's the record? 59.43? He's got a shot, definitely. But I'd be shocked. I'd be stunned if Mance goes for a time if he doesn't destroy 61 minutes. All right, I just want to say, I don't think you're giving Frank Lara enough credit for the improvements he's made after college, though. Like, Frank, Frank Lara was a solid college runner, but he's been a very good professional on the roads. I mean, he's now run, this year alone, he's run 13-27, 27-43, both of those on the track, and then 61 flat and a half. Like, he's a lot better than he was in high school and college, and I think you have to factor that in. Do I think Connor Mance has more talent? Yes, but... Does that mean he would beat him by a minute right now in a half marathon? I'm not confident of that. Either way, I think it will be exciting to watch. That's going to be on Sunday morning. Speaking of great half marathoners, Jeffrey Camwara is running the Valencia full marathon this weekend. I'm also excited about that because remember last year, he had a bad accident where he was clipped by a motorcycle on an, out on a training run. Uh, you know, suffered injuries to his head, to his leg. He wasn't really, you know, he it derailed his season in 2020. He didn't race after February. 
And, you know, he then he comes back this year, has a great run at the Kenyan Olympic trials in the 10,000, runs 2701 at altitude. But then he gets hurt again and he can't run the Olympics. So now he's running the marathon. This is his first marathon since 2019 when he won New York in the fall. I'm pretty excited to see what he's going to do because he's not a guy who's really gone for times a lot recently. The lot, So his last four marathons have all been New York City Marathon. The last time he ran one that wasn't New York was Berlin in 2014. And that was before you know he'd won a world half at that point, but he hadn't really become the Jeffrey Camoro star that we think of now. He had an interview with World Athletics recently. He thinks he can break two hours in the marathon one day. So this is a fast Valencia course. You know, We saw Evans Chabat run... 203 flat here last year. I'm very excited to see if Cam War is, you know, Cam Warrow, what he can do in this. And he did run, you know, he ran 59.38 back in April. You know, it's hard to really gauge. That was for a half marathon. Hard to really gauge his fitness for Valencia off of that. But he's facing Lawrence Girono, who won Boston and Chicago in 2019. He's facing a 203 guy in Kende Atenor. Sandre Moen, the former European record holder in the marathons, also ran 205 guy. So I, I'm going to be excited to see how fast Cam Aurora goes if he really rips it. Yeah, it's exciting. By the way, the Friday 15 podcast is going to be amazing because we're going to have to talk about Valencia. We've got the Running Lane High School uh, team championships this weekend. We've got a Sound Running Pro XC meet, USATF half, something else, BU 5K as well. It's amazing. But – yeah, he hasn't gone for a fast one. You said, you know, we can't judge him off that 59 in April, but in June, he ran a 2701, 10,000, you know, and beat the next Kenyan by four seconds. So that guy got seventh in the Olympics. So you put him four seconds ahead of seventh, he would have been right in the, in the hump for the medal. So, I mean, he's clearly one of the world's biggest talents. So can he run a fast one? I don't know. You know, is he like a meb for some reason? I mean, it's kind of weird because he's so fast and so good at the half marathon um, that it's amazing, right? It's amazing that in the era of super shoes, you've got a guy who set the half marathon world record as recently as 2019, 5801, just two years ago in Copenhagen. His marathon date PR is from his debut in 2012 without super shoes. So 206.12 without super shoes, you th- I honestly think would be at least a 204, 30, minute and a half. You know, but you would think he's a better runner than now. So we'll have to check the forecast between now and Friday. Yeah, I mean, I, I look, if he's really made for it, I wouldn't be shocked by a 202, but I also think it depends how he came off of this injury that kept him out of the Olympics. And Robert, one other thing about Valencia, I've found a guy for you to root for. Yago Rojo of Spain. 209.56 personal best. He finished 28 last year, but his last name is Rojo. So I think you're legally obligated to support this man. Well, there is that Kenyan that's named Weldon Kipagat that Weldon's always cheering for. I'll have to see. I'll have to see. Okay, Robert, you mentioned the running lane nationals, which are on Saturday in Alabama. The biggest storyline there is going to be Newbury Park High School from California. They're regarded widely as the greatest high school cross-country team of all time on the boys' side. And their performance at the California State meet over the weekend, last weekend, 
is the greatest performance ever by a high school boys cross country team. They compete in Division One in California, which is the largest schools in the most populous state in the United States, and they scored 16 points, one shy of perfect. They won one, two, three, four, five. Sorry, one, two, three, four, seven, nine. So their sixth guy was ninth in the state of California in the in Division One, which is just ridiculous. If you look at their track PRs, it's also insane. Their third guy at this meet, Lex Young, has run 843 for 3,200 meters. Their fifth guy, Daniel Appleford, has run 856. That's their number five. It's just, you know, if you look at their all-time list, they had three of the five fastest times ever run at Woodward Park, which hosts the California State meet and has for the last 30-plus years. We, I mean, I would say we'd never see anything like this again, but three of their top four are juniors, so we might see this again next year. But it's, it's pretty phenomenal what they've been doing this year. Well, you leave out one key fact, John, on the negative side. They desperately wanted to break German Fernandez's individual course record of 1424. Colin Salmon won in 1426, so they came up a little bit short there. But, yeah, this is a cool story. I love the, art, the article that I – and I analyzed it in the week that was. Um, I loved an article I found in the L.A. County Times. Or, I don't know. I linked to the article. But Sean Brosnan, the coach, is like, look, we wanted to leave it all out there and put it on the show, and that's what I think we did, something along those lines. And the kids were really, you know, excited about the effort they gave, proud of the ones they gave. And that's what we need. You give it your all. All you control is your attitude and your, you know, your effort. You can't control outcomes. So um, I'm sure they would rather, they would like to have had one guy the course record of 15. Yes, but still an amazing day, and they were excited about it. So. No, that was pretty cool. But it led me to a larger discussion of, you know, some of you brought, oh, Brosnan's got the secret sauce. He's the greatest coach ever. And there's the other camp of, he's not really that good of a coach because five of the basically, well, the five best athletes he's ever coached are all from two families, right? The three are from the Young families. Nico Young is now in NAU and now has two twin brothers that are juniors. And then the Solomon brothers who are both on the team now. Someone's like, you know, I had a California coach I was talking to on the phone. Like, if you take those guys away, take those two families out of his district, he's nothing special. We've seen guys, teams that good before. And my response to this, and this is my response to a lot of debates on the message board. People have to always are acting like it's either or. Why can't it be both, John? Yes, he's a good coach. Do I think he invented some new way to train like Arthur Lader did 60 years ago? Hell no. But is he incredibly lucky to have this talent? Yes. And another thing I didn't mention in the article, is he incredibly lucky to be located where he is, you know, in a suburb of L.A., which is great for training year-round, and where now four of the – there's only been, what, 17 or 18 years of NXN champions? I know there's not going to be an NXN champion, but let's call them the unofficial NXN champion this year. You know, Arcadia, which is only an hour away, they won two about 10 years ago. Now, now Newberry Park's won two. So – he gets the great family in the district. He gets the great weather, the great trails. And then he's all in. He gets him training, etc. So I think it's both. I think it's cool. I think he's a good coach. But it's the same. It reminds me of Bill Ayers. People are like, oh, Bill Ayers is the greatest. And he is. 
Bill Ayers is the greatest high school coach in history. What he did with those girls, he won boys and girls teams at Manlius. The girls won how many in a row? Is sick, incredible. But I said, Bill started a pro team. People, oh, he's going to be good as a pro coach. I said, he's not going to be good as a pro coach unless he gets good athletes to coach. And now I don't even know if they have the pro team. So if you have big talent and are a great coach, you can do great things with it. So congrats to Sean Bronson because he is. But there is one thing I would like to criticize. Well, I don't know if I want to criticize it, but in this article he said, you know, we'll, some people think we run 90 miles a week. I would never do that to a high schooler. What do you guys think of that comment? What's wrong with running 90 miles per week in high school? Well, because not every, I don't think there are very many high school athletes who can handle that amount of volume. And a lot of people, you would want to build them up slowly. You don't want to reach, have, the, I mean, look, Jakob Ingebrigtsen reached, he's sort of disproved a lot of people saying, oh, you shouldn't be reaching your potential early. You know, you shouldn't be trying to run these amazing times when you're a teenager because you're going to burn out as a pro. Well, he just reached his potential earlier than most athletes. But I think in the long-term development of most runners is running 90 miles a week in high school going to help you. I would say most people aren't Jakob Ingebrigtsen. Most people aren't going to be able to handle that. It would be a smarter healthier progression for them to build up to that number, you know, once they're in college. I only said that because to me what ruins runners is intensity, not the mileage. Not can I believe strong in that. You want really intense stuff without mileage, you just get burned out. So the difference, you know, one thing I was thinking of is these kids are spending a lot of time on cross country. They've driven to the state meet course, I think two times during the season just for practice. It's like an eight, nine hour round trip from where they live. And so that's probably an extra 20 weeks, 20 hours a week. They do tons of drills and warm ups and stuff like that. That's a lot of time because the amount of what I used to think when I was coaching was there's a limited amount of time in the day. Now as I'm a parent, it's even more obvious to me. So how do you want your spend your time? It only the difference in time between running 60 miles a week and 90 miles a week is only 30 minutes a day if you're running seven minute miles. So for roughly the same amount of time, they can skip the trip to Fresno. And whatever you know, you're saying they might get hurt, you know. And people are like, oh, we got to prepare. Robert, for what's your point? They're the top high school team in the country. Why do they need to run more miles? I don't understand what you're saying. I just don't understand why he acted like that was the end of the world. And John Kellogg, when he's coaching with me, he's always like, "We're preparing them for the long term." And I get into this. I'm like, most of these kids are never going to run in the long term. They're not going to be Division One stars. They're not going to run professionally. Now, maybe this fifth guy w- will run in college, but their sixth and seventh aren't that super hot. You know, so it's like maybe the fifth guy who was seventh in the California state meet will run in college. I guarantee he runs in college. Yeah, the, the sixth guy ran, was ninth in the California state meet as a junior. He'll run in college for sure. I mean, like, what are you saying? I'm just saying that I thought his smug quote about the 90 miles per week was a little bit self-serving. I didn't love it because I'm not opposed to, if a kid is motivated, I think it's great that they're motivated and they're in the team. They're excited. And they're, these, these guys are training like collegians. They're doing an altitude camp in the summer. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think it's great that kids are passionate about what the Manly's kids are all in on track in cross country and the lifestyle. The Newberry park kids are all in it because they're not doing drugs. They're not getting, knocking people up and getting them pregnant. They're not doing stupid shit, hitting, throwing eggs at baseball bats, you know, putting, exit cars and hitting what? mailboxes with baseball bats like kids do in college. Kids do stupid things in high school. Excuse me. So they're living a good lifestyle. I'm pleased with that. But if a kid wants to go out and run, you know, 90 miles a week, 
I don't think that's the end of the world either. I'm just defending the right for someone to run 90 miles a week. Mm. I I mean, my take is that in most cases, you shouldn't be running 90 miles a week in high school. But that's an argument for a different case. I do want to say it is interesting. Rob, you mentioned they go to altitude. They had 13 guys and nine girls spend a month in Big Bear over the summer training, which is pretty, that's like something college, even most college teams wouldn't do that. So for them to do that as a high school team, it's pretty crazy. He was, tell, you know, I talked to Sean Brosnan this week and he was telling me about they raised $10,000 for this altitude camp. You know, they have these, all these fundraisers they do to raise money for the kids who can't pay and that sort of thing. It was pretty interesting to him talk about that. Uh-oh. I didn't know this. Big Bear, John, is so, I don't know. I mean, Ryan Hall's from Big Bear. You got to go to Flagstaff. Soon the team that goes to Flagstaff will be beating them. And I guarantee, John, if they were running 90 miles a week, Robert would be saying they're burning him out. I feel like Sean Brosnan is totally, this is the best high school team ever. I don't care if it's from two families. Can they kind of recruit? Did the family move in because of the coaching? Whatever. No one else has ever done it. Sure, they have thousands of kids who go to this school. It's absolutely dominant. It's very impressive. It's like we're now discussing like, oh, Bill Belichick's not a good coach. It's all Tom Brady. It's like, if we're having this discussion, you're doing a really good job. What I want to know about this is how, like, how talented are these kids, right? Because Sean Brosnan, he says, you know, talent's part of it, but they're also very dedicated. They're also training together. But Nico Young, when he won, and he won NXN in 2019, right? He was the individual national champion. And I've talked to Mike Smith about him. He thinks he's, you know, is really big talent. He was fourth in NCAA cross as a true freshman. So, but then we've got Leo Young, Lex Young, his brothers, and Colin Salmon has run faster than Nico ever did on the California State Meet course. Like, are we going to look back 20 years from now and say, oh my God, this is crazy. Two of the most talented families in the history of American distance running just happened to attend the same school at the same time. Or are we going to be saying, well, these were really good kids, but they also had a great coach in college, in high school, and they were training together, and that's why they were running so incredibly fast. I'm just interested to see how fast these guys end up 20 years from now. I lead to the for, to the the former being the, the the main explanation there. Extremely talented families. Now, they've got extremely good coaching too. I'm not denying that, but you know, I mean, what. I, I tend to agree with you on that, Robert, because again, Lex Young ran 8.43 as a sophomore for 3,200 meters. I, I mean, you can be a fantastic coach, but you need to have an insane level of talent to be able to run 8.43 as a sophomore in high school. And we already knew Nico was really, really talented. So I do think the Young's you know, super talented, obviously a great coaching setup as well. I'm going to be interested, Colin Salmon again, Aaron Salmon, who was fourth. He's a junior. I'm interested to see how they do. But I do kind of lean with those two families towards the talent explanation. Wait, but we're just supposed to believe that randomly the two most talented families in America happen to land at the same high school? It's got to be a combination, right? I mean, come on. It is a combination. So that leads us to thread of the week. Are the young brothers are Ingerbitsons? And maybe I shouldn't be shocked by some of the negativity in naysayers and let's run. Some people are on there acting that, that Nico Young is not that talented, not that good anymore. He's not a winner. I'm like, what? Kid's been, what, 11th at NCAA Cross? Was that what it was this year? And fourth? 
pretty good if you ask me. Like, he's not a winner. But another observer who's overseas pointed out that Nico Young, I think he's the second fastest non-African ever at 5K under the age of 19. He's faster than Hing- than Hingrich Ingerbison at this age. So, and his brothers are killing it in high school. So that begs the question, like, are we getting too soon comparing them to the Ingerbisons? Or is that just an unfair comparison? Because Jakob just kept developing and kept developing as your Olympic gold medalist at 1,500 meters. And, you know, the young brothers may never sniff a U.S. team. I mean, who knows what's going to happen with them, right? I mean, they're not going to be as good as the Ingebrigtsons. Jakob Ingebrigtsons, one of the most talented. I mean, you have to say he's one of the most. He's got a good training setup, but he's also one of the most talented runners we've ever, we've ever seen. He might break the world record in the fifteen hundred. He won the Olympics at the age of twenty. You know, and then his brothers, Philip, also a world championship medalist in the fifteen hundred, and Henrik, who is quote unquote the slow one of those three, was fifth at the Olympics at the age of twenty one. Are the Youngs ever going to be able to have their third best guy finish fifth in the Olympics? I don't think so, but. I'm very excited to see how it pans out. There's, I think that they might, you could make a case they're the most talented family. I mean, it's certainly like three, three siblings in the United States distance running history. They, they're climbing the list. I think it's an interesting thread, but I, I think it's not fair to compare Nico Young's 5,000 PR to Ongrig Ingebrigtsen's 5,000 PR when Ongrig was a 1,500 meter runner. Good luck when Nico gets fifth in the Olympics in 2024. It's just unfortunate that the Johnson brothers couldn't grow up near super shoes, would prevent the injuries. No one will be having these conversations. No one would probably know who the Ingerbretsons are. But Coming full circle with the super shoes. Instead, we had to start a website. We'd let people discuss running. Thank you. Thank you. Before we put this Newberry Park story to bed, and by the way, I don't want to, I don't want to be viewed as a hater. I'm just pointing out both sides are true. We've seen this happen before in some ways in the sense of we've seen a coach coach people from three different families to sub nine on the same high school team. Happened in the 1970s with was the Gary Indiana high school team that had Kerry Pinkowski on it? Hammond, Indiana. Hammond, Indiana. Excuse me. So they just weren't fortunate enough to have all brothers that were equally as good. But by the way, I started eating this. It's called a Chalk Zero Kettle Bark Bar. This thing is excellent. It's from therunnerbox.com. Go there, use code Let's Run Twenty One, save ten bucks. Seriously, check this stuff out. I'm not even sure how this is possible. I'm not a big nutrition person. Dark chocolate with sea salt, and then it says sugar free. I think it means like no added extra sugar, but damn good, man. What's fun about the runner box is it's kind of, have you ever signed up for like one of those subscription boxes where you get like socks or shoes? You don't really know exactly what you're going to get each month. So it's kind of a surprise, but it's cool, different stuff. And then you, they also give you like the URL of all the products in case you want to get more. It's the excitement of the unknown, Robert. You know, if you're getting a present and you're told there could be anything in this box, you're going to be very excited. Whereas if you know, oh, that's just the thing I ordered from Amazon. It's a little exciting, but it's not nearly as exciting as the the unknown. Speaking of such, like five years ago, I bought one of these like clothes things for Robert for your birthday. I don't think he ever like activated it. Did you ever get it, Robert? Like this clothes thing? It was like a clothes box. It was like a one time deal. 
I sent you the link like a year later. I don't think you need to, you know, you price. I don't even know if it's still available. That seems like a no, but he is wearing your Pan Am Games warm-up uh, jacket that we talked about earlier, Robert. Well then, so in a way, you did give him a gift here. I may be feeling guilt because I was cleaning out, like we have some painters painting some stuff and I was trying to clean out some closets and stuff. And I found scrumpled up in the corner Weldon's Pan Am jersey with the singlets, I mean, with the bib still on it. And I was going to take it to work and frame it. And now I can't find it. I think it got tossed by mistake. Weldon looks upset. Meanwhile, he had thrown it in the in the back of my garage or something. With NFTs and shit, this could have gone for a lot. Make an NFT of my jersey. Oh, man. All right, guys. Before we go, we've got to back, get back to a little governance stuff. We started hot with the USATF. I thought we might lead with this. Shelby Houlihan. I guess I have to call her a convicted. That to say it, it sounds bad. It just shows. Maybe you shouldn't have two different words. Convicted drug cheat. Doping offender. She started a GoFundMe to raise funds for her defense. It's getting a lot of discussion on Let's Run. And the other big news is Jonathan Galt has spoken to Shelby Houlihan this week. Yeah. So let's let's start there, John. Like, well, okay. So she starts this website because she said the expenses, you know, fighting her case have just grown so large. She no longer, you know, she basically doesn't have enough money to continue fighting an appeal. She's currently appealing to the Swiss Federal Tribunal in Switzerland, and she says on this website that she has had to pay for the entire process out of pocket. And this is why she's now asking for GoFundMe. And I, I, when I spoke to her, I said, how much does this cost you? And she said, you know, it's been a lot. She didn't want to go the exact figure, but she said it's in the six figures so far, her defense has cost. And it, it brought up an interesting topic to me, which is where does Nike stand on all of this? Because if she says she's paid for the entire process out of pocket, clearly Nike's not funding that her defense. But is she still going to have a contract to return to if her ban is overturned or once it expires, currently expires in 2025, how does this Bauman track club, are they going to give any money to her defense? Is Nike going to give any money to her defense or do they have a stance on this at all? I was very curious about how this all fits. And unfortunately she said she was not in a position to comment on anything regarding Nike. She did not want to talk about that, but I did talk to her about some other stuff. And I guess, do you have any questions? What do you want to know from, this discussion we had. Well, for me, maybe first let's just kind of paint this thread and some of the reaction to it. I, I guess I'm still not convinced that Shelby Houlihan was an intentional doper. Yes, Nandrolone was found in her system. She has not given an acceptable excuse, but we've seen tainted stuff. People laugh at this burrito thing, but it was proven she ate a burrito truck the day before. If you were innocent, let's just say the possibility she was innocent. You didn't know how you got this t- stuff in there. I would look at what I ate. I would look at what supplements I take. And then I'm just shocked till like everyone's certain without doubt she's guilty. Now, maybe that's what we should be for the history of doping because I've talked to people. They went to Tyler Hamilton's house, journalist. He sat him down, swore to them that this vanishing twin bullshit excuse made sense. So maybe the burrito thing sounds the same way. But when I first heard the Shelby Houlihan case, it was presented to me. As, hey, this is going to be an Ajay Wilson situation, a 
Jerry and Lawson situation, it's going to be, they're going to get off. And I didn't feel like this person was like some apologist for Shelby. It just sort of was presented as how that was going to be. That did not turn out the case. She's sort of fighting for her life, her professional life. It's crazy. And the basic American right is the right to defend yourself. Because people are like, how dare you give money? This is ridiculous. One, do you guys know what lawyers cost? Of course she spent six figures by now. So they're like, oh, she should pay for it herself. You think she's just got $300,000 sitting around? I don't care what she got paid. I don't know. It made me angry. And then the Clean Sport Collective, which is supposed to be an anti-doping, retweeted an article and said yes, saying like, why you shouldn't give money to Shelby's defense? That is offensive to me. The Clean Sport Collective should defend any athlete's right to defend themselves. And I had a big problem with that. Because the Clean Sport Collective was started by Kara Goucher's PR firm. They do a good job, but it was started by her, by that, that firm and that group. It's tied to Kara Goucher. Who's Kara Goucher tied to? Alberto Salazar. So in some ways you could argue the whole Clean Sport Collective was a thing to make, look, make Kara look good. And I think Kara has shown a lot of bravery in speaking out and stuff. But nobody says, oh, Kara Goucher... You shouldn't be in this sport because of your size to Alberto Salazar. I just think Shelby has a right to defend herself. It's as American as you can be. And I've even debated, like, should I make it just a monetary contribution just because I support Shelby's right to defend herself? Am, am I off base here, guys? Well, I think you weren't very eloquent, but I don't think you're off base. This thing reminds me of several things that we've been talking about on this podcast. It's not either or. Reading the thread about Shelby, Shelby's GoFundMe trying to raise $300,000. It's not off to a good start, by the way. She's only raised $12,000. Floyd Landis, for the record, guys, did raise over $478,000 in his defense fund, which ended up being a fraud because he, he did pay that back, by the way, because he was a doper. So we've seen, first of all, we've seen dirty people claim they're innocent and try to raise money in a GoFundMe to support the legal fee. So that doesn't mean she's clean or guilty. Either way, but the thread on this GoFundMe on Let's Run disgusts me. All these people are like, she's a convicted doper. So what? I 100% agree with Weldon. You have a right to an appeal and to do whatever you want for an appeal. Now, you don't necessarily have the right to have other people pay for it, but she absolutely should be allowed to raise money. And the Clean Sport Collective saying she shouldn't be allowed to raise money for it was sickening. They should apologize for that tweet. I mean, there's lots of people in the American justice system that are in jail for shit they didn't do. So I am open to the possibility that she doped as a rogue doper and intentionally did Nandrolone. I am 100% open to that. She's improved an awful lot since college. I'm also open to the fact that she's totally innocent. If I'm totally innocent, this is like ruining her life. Those are both possibilities. Number th- One thing that I know that I'm clear on is I will write an editorial at some point. Maybe it'll be under my bylaw or the Let's Run bylaw. Her doping ban should be reduced, though, to three years. A four-year doping ban is supposed to have you miss one Olympics. She would miss two because of COVID. That's not right. Come on, people. Just cut it down to three at a minimum. So she has a shot to come back for the Olympics, whether she doped or not. But we have put the offer, just like we did out to Mr. Mance for a contract offer, we've put the offer out. I know some people think we're doping apologists because John said he thinks she's innocent. I have not gone that far. I'm open to the possibility of her being innocent. But for the record, we put the offer out to her and her team of, hey, 
come on, we'll do a live podcast with you, Jerry, or you and your lawyer, and we'll get maybe us or some of us and some skeptics, maybe a Floyd Landis who knows what it's like to dope, or maybe David Epstein, or maybe Ross Tucker who seems very skeptical of Shelby's excuses, and we can sort of challenge her on her arguments and what she thinks, etc. But the people that don't think she has a right to appeal are bad. Now, I did think that article about why she should, you know, I think it's fair to ask, you know, why should we have to pay? Why doesn't a multi-million dollar, multi-billion dollar company pay? You know, or why don't the rich Bowerman track club athletes who make hundreds of thousands of dollars a year pay? But I think that's a problem. Now, people are so charitied out by GoFundMes and the cost of everything that she hasn't raised very much money. But to me, it's simple why Nike's not paying. They don't want to get into, they don't want to set the precedent of paying for all their athletes' legal expense fees. They're extremely expensive. Now, it's a fair question. I think John's going to ask Nike, why did you pay for Salazar? To me, the difference is clear. Salazar was a Nike employee. Shelby Hulan is a Nike contractor. They're not one and the same. Yeah, I think that's a good point, Robert. I'm actually, I'm not aware of Nike. Maybe this has happened, but I'm not aware of Nike ever paying when one of their athletes gets busted for performance enhancing drugs or is suspended or something. I can't ever remember Nike fronting the cost of an appeal there. So I, in some ways I'd be surprised if they did the same for Houlihan. Hey John, there's a few things I want to ask you about this. First of all, whether she doped or not, I care about people as humans. We all make mistakes and I'm worried about her mental health, John, like this has got to be traumatic. How did she sound to you? Did she sound from a mental health standpoint? Did she sound okay? She sounded okay. I think she still exists in a very uh, in-between spot right now. And she was handed up in and she spent a long time. She was handed the provisional suspension. And then she spent the first half of 2021 fighting that suspension. And then in 2021, she was banned. And once that ban is handed around by CIS, really she's down to a Hail Mary, this appeal in the Swiss Federal, Federal Tribunal. So you would think at some point, would she accept it and just say, look, even if, Look, even if she is innocent, except that there's really not much else I can do about this and move on. She hasn't really reached that point. Right now, she's still sort of figuring out what to do. Um, She's still trying to pursue with this appeal because she claims that she's innocent. And is that going to change at some point? She'll accept, hey, look, even if if I'm clean, I'm going to have to serve this ban because just the system's against me. Maybe she'll come to that at some point. But at this point, she's still committed to fighting and she's not really sure... You know, she has some big decisions to make. Is she going to just, is she going to stop running completely? Right now, she's still training. Is she going to try to get a job of some sort? Right now, she doesn't have one, it doesn't sound like. It's unclear about the status of her Nike contract. She wouldn't go into that. But she did say she was considering starting to drive for Uber Eats. Uh, so I don't think she's taking that step yet. But she's still got decisions to make. She definitely seems like in an in-between spot right now in her life still. I mean, this is crazy. I mean, I guess you're a professional runner and you pretty much can't work in running. Yeah, next thing you know, you're driving for Uber Eats. It shows how important this is. Now, if she's the doper, nobody's going to give a shit, right? But if she were to be innocent, and we have seen tainted things, that's just why I think she deserves her day in court. And we can go back. I said, oh, I call Mary Slaney a drug cheat all the time. People say, oh, her case was at whatever, blah, blah, blah. Fine. Maybe call me a hypocrite. But Mary Slaney's free to raise as much money and present her case as best as she wants it. But okay, John, 
Have any of her teammates given money to the cause? I want to see that. Like, put their names to it. Because, well, earlier, because some people draw inferences from that. Robert said he's open to the possibility that she's a rogue doper. Rogue doper? The whole team could be doping. Jager was on that fancy beer. Robert, Robert, that's what people think. Read the thread. They say, look, hey, there was a leaked document from five years ago. Jager was on it. He hasn't run that well since then. I'm just pointing what people say. I disagree with a lot of this logic. I think Jerry's group is clean. I heard never any questions about that group. And you hear a lot of rumors, a lot of stuff from people. That's why I'm willing to give Shelby more of the benefit of the doubt. But, Robert, don't rule it out. Come on. I am ruling it out. Now, do I think Chris Solinsky's 2659 came because he was on thyroid medication? Yes, I do. You know, but do I think Jerry plays in the gray area? No. Do I think he was freaked out by the thyroid? Yes. Do I think he's running a doping program? Absolutely not. That's my personal opinion and from interactions from having Jerry, from having met Jerry. So I don't think that the whole group is dirty, and I think it's completely wrong for you to even suggest that that's a possibility. Yes, it's a possibility, but... Not for my interaction. I have personal knowledge of this group. And no, I used to go to these meets and either Tegan Camp or Solinsky. I was at the USF 15 camp. One of them came to me. What have you heard? They wanted to know what I'd heard about the Salazar investigation. They were very interested in it. And I was like, you guys are the ones that train at the same damn track with them. I think you would have heard more than me. So I just, I guess anything's a possibility in this world, but I, I, don't, I don't view that as likely or not even conceivable to me okay i believe weldon actually asked me a question did any of her teammates donate to me it doesn't it doesn't look like it the the names on the donors that i've been through as of today we're recording on wednesday i didn't see any bowerman and trap club members in there i asked shelby have any of your teammates donors? she said she hadn't looked there's been a lot of anonymous donations she's not sure if those are her teammates or not she said she hasn't asked her teammates she said she felt they'd already been very helpful to her she hasn't asked them directly to donate she just sort of asked them to sh- share stuff to raise awareness of her cause. And one point I wanted to make here came from Kyle Merber's newsletter this morning. He mentioned that Bowman Track Club just won $20,000 at the Michigan Pro Ecadent, and they chose to return that money to the Ecadent to ensure that the event continued. And he was like, well, that's interesting. You know, that's $20,000. If they were really committed to clearing Shelby in their defense, would they have moved that to, I mean, would they have used that funds towards her defense rather than returning it to this event. I think this, this money talk is just off base. Like I think it's sad. She went to go fund me. She's not going to raise the money. It looks like, but people are implying because they haven't donated. They think she's dirty. I don't think so at all. They all came out right away and said, we think she's clean. You know, I guess we can ask him if they think something's changed since then. I don't think, I don't think that's the case. There's a two anonymous $2,000 donation. Maybe they're going to give later. Maybe they've given to her privately. Who knows? I, I just, I don't know why we're wasting on time on looking at the donor list to see who and who hasn't given. Because public relations is a big part of all of this, Robert. And if her teammates give money, that means something. If they want to do it anonymously, they have many reasons not to, but a lot of people are like, why should I give money? Her own teammates haven't given money. What do they suspect? Why aren't they supporting her? Well, I agree with that. I think, I think from a PR standpoint, this thing has been butchered. I mean, the lawyer, he may be the best, most famous lawyer, but the way the burrito story came out was terrible. By the way, I almost had to make a joke if she, if she works for Uber Eats. Again, I feel for her personally, and I'm very worried about her mental health, but you know, she could probably get some huge tips if she delivers burritos and people are runners and know, and know that she's del- delivering burritos. So you know, maybe it's like an OnlyFans account, and you can order up a special like 
burrito delivery, you know, Uber Eats had a, a market that in the in the Portland area, you know, for a hundred dollars, Shelby Houlihan will deliver your burrito. Robert, I just think this is incredibly disrespectful. OnlyFans. I'm saying the equivalent of an OnlyFans. Like you pay more than your three dollar delivery fee. You pay like thirty times that. Shelby will deliver your burrito. And I know it's not a jokey manner, but come on. You hear Uber Eats? That's what's in the back of your mind. Well, then if you want to take that apart out, just go ahead. But yeah, I mean, I think this this whole thing is sad. I I, I just the people that are certain, you know, like. So many people, we've seen an entire story after story this week. They want the world to be black or white. Sean Brasden is the best coach ever. He's invented distance running. Sean Brasden is an idiot. Neither is true. The world is not black and white. It's gray. Shelby may have doped. She may not have doped. But she certainly has the right to defend herself. Yeah, I agree with that, Robert. I just think there are a lot of people who would say, Guess what? She already did defend herself. She this was her in CAS. She had her day in court. She lost, and it's time to move on. Now, I think she still has a. I still think she has a right to do this GoFundMe. You don't need to donate. It shouldn't. It should tick you off if she's doing it. I mean, I don't really care. She ha- she has any right to do it. And if she gets money, if people want to give their money to that, that's their own choice. I'm not really going to weigh in whether they should or shouldn't. And John. Tell the people about her. I think her strongest argument, again, involves Christian Ayet, a woman who, in my mind, perjured herself in the Jerry and Lawson case. And by the way, why is there all this animosity? These same people that I want to know, if you're a message board poster that hates Shelby, please email me, robert at letsrun.com. Do you also hate Jerry and Lawson and Ajay Wilson? Because they did two also test positive, but they were let off. So do you hate them or do you believe their excuses? They didn't, in my mind, Jerry Lawson didn't prove he ate tainted beef. Neither did Ajay Wilson. They proved it's possible that they ate tainted beef. So they very well could be dopers too. So, um, or maybe all three of them are dopers. I don't know. But back to her most, her strongest argument involving Ayet. Explain what she was telling you, John. Like, Christian Ayet, again, this, who perjured herself in another case, she's the Montreal lab She did not perjure herself, Robert. Okay, she provided false testimony in the Jerry and Lawson case. Some people would call that perjury. Thank you. She said statements that were proven to not be factually correct. Perjury sort of implies some intent, I think. So just be careful what you say. Maybe she did it intentionally, but you could say something that's not true and not perjure yourself, I think. She said statements that were false and also wouldn't didn't want to hand over her lab records so that people could prove that those statements were false until she was forced to by a by the court. Right, John? Right, correct. Okay, maybe I'll shut up. So, so look, essentially, I asked... Shelby, why, why are you like, what is the grounds for the appeal to the Swiss federal tribunal? If you're appealing to them, you're going to be make, have to make an argument that something in the CAS case was unfair to you that, that because if the t- tribunal overturns it, it doesn't mean that she's cleared. It just means that this case goes back to CAS and is reheard by CAS. So I said, why would the outcome be any different if they hear it again with the same facts? And Shelby's argument, the argument her side is making is Twofold. One, USADA was off, offered up uh, an independent expert to testify in this case, and the CAS chose not to hear this expert. I think they believed that they had sufficient expert testimony on her case. And her second point was that their expert test witness was Christiane Ayotte, who is the director of the Montreal WADA lab, and who was also the person who handled Shelby's sample and determined whether or not 
to conduct the pharmacokinetics study that possibly could have resulted in atypical finding as opposed to an adverse analytical finding. An atypical finding does not trigger an automatic suspension, triggers an investigation. And her argument is, look, Aot was the one who made this decision. And obviously, if she's testifying as an expert about her own decision-making and about the samples, she's just going to back herself. Shouldn't there be some other expert on hand to provide testimony? So that's her, that's her argument. And that to me is the obvious answer is yes. So I know some people are probably on a run right now. Things are not really paying attention. So listen to this again. So they needed an independent expert to like talk about the science of this. And the independent expert was the, was the person in charge of the lab, in charge of busting Shelby. That doesn't make any sense, particularly since U.S. anti-doping said, hey, we've got an independent expert. Use this person. And they said, no, no, no. We don't want to use this person. We want to use this person who is extremely already involved in this case. And oh, by the way, was embarrassed in the Jerry and Lawson case. This is an independent expert or a, this is the prosecution's expert. They're very different things. Can the prosecution pick its expert? They pick the lab yeah. director. Correct. Yes. No, I, I think it's, I think it's fair to have a, she is an expert on this sort of stuff. She conducted a stu- study on Nandrolone. Like I think it's perfectly fine. Well, you can make the argument because of her mistake in Jerry and Lawson case, she shouldn't be an expert in this case. But I think if CA, if AIU wants to have her an ex, as an expert, you can admit her testimony. But at the same time, if you want to have an expert from the defense or from USADA, I think it would be it would make sense to hear them as well. So it kind of makes it's kind of confusing to me why that you why the CAS didn't allow the USADA expert to testify. Shelby couldn't hire the expert on herself and say testify on my behalf. Oh, that's uh, I didn't I didn't follow up on that. That's actually a good question. Well then, I'm just confused who this expert was being hired by, John. I so I well I asked her. Here's the thing. I did say like who was this expert going to be, and she said I, I was just told that USADA had offered their independent expert to provide an opinion. And she sort of said you know if you really want to know more details about it, you should ask her lawyer Paul Green. So. Maybe that's another step to take. But I mean, the also interesting thing about this was Shelby essentially skipped the level in the process. Usually you get sort of two trials. The court of arbitration in the sport is your last trial, but Shelby expedited this because she wanted to compete at the Olympics. So she only got one shot at hearing her case heard. Now she voluntarily did this, but I think there's some sort of, you know, just sort of justice arguments of like, Wow, well, you know, oh, the experts weren't right, or th- th- there was just no second appeal. Essentially, she got one shot of this and lost, and you're F for four years. This sort of goes against common. I, I guess she voluntarily waived this, but it's like if you just go straight to the Supreme Court and lose, you're fucked. Yeah, but let's be real here, Weldon. There is no way in hell that the AIU would have cleared her on this. Like when these appeals happen, the AIU very, very rarely overturns their own decision. Um, it did happen in the Salwa Eid NASA case. But I just don't see of any of the evidence that was presented at the CAS appeal that the AAU would have overturned the its own decision. Or sorry, the World Athletics, I believe it's a World Athletics panel, would have overturned this decision. I just don't think it would have happened. But I, look, this whole thing, we've probably spent too much time on this Houlihan case. But what it comes down to is the people who are mad about her appeal are believers in the system. They think that the global anti-doping system 
it, it should it should be trusted. It should be relied upon. If they reach this decision, if the CAS reaches this decision, she must be guilty because the only other alternative is this wildly improbable story that Houlihan has provided. Those who believe that Shelby is innocent, which again, I tend to believe that. That's kind of, I listen to her story and I also listen to what happened in the Jerry and Lawson case. I tend to believe that Houlihan's side of events, as li- unlikely as it may be, they would argue there are actually flaws in the global anti-doping system that the AIU and WADA are unwilling to acknowledge and that is catching athletes like Jerry and Lawson and Shelby Houlihan in that net. And if you're a Shelby Houlihan denier, or if you sorry, you believe that justice was done in this case, you would just say no, or you would say that there might be holes, but it didn't affect this case. So, John, do you believe she took a burrito the night before and that caused her positive test? Or do you just believe she didn't intentionally take Nandro and you don't know how it got in her system? I believe the latter. She didn't she didn't in- intentionally ingest it. And some people would say that doesn't matter. It could have been in her supplements. Do we have a list of all of her supplements she's taken? She could have had a tainted supplement that busted her. I'm sorry, responsible. It sucks, but that's the rule. Takes drink water and organic turkey. I asked her about every supplement she was taking at the time of the test, and she told me calcium, a multivitamin, vitamin D. Those are all chewable, you know, gummy vitamins. A B complex vitamin. She said she may have been taking iron at the time, but she's not sure because she usually takes it at altitude. And then Voltaren, which is an anti-inflammatory cream. She said those were all the entire list of supplements she was taking or might have been taking at the time of the positive test. Seems very unlikely to me that any of those would contain Nandrolone. And when we also have the knowledge that the burrito truck she went to was serving two two different burritos that had, you know, pork offal as one of the ingredients. I tend to think that's probably the most, you know, if she took it unintentionally, that's probably the most likely explanation is that it came from the burrito rather than the tainted supplement or something else. That's my, that's my two cents. But I think a lot of detractors would say, look, they looked into this. They said there wasn't enough meat there. So is there anything she's doing, John, to sort of like test meat to show the level of meat she took can trigger this test? Because even if she loses at the court, I think if she could somehow get experts to show that conclusively, at least in public opinion, she could win. Because, I mean, she had a day in court. They did not buy that excuse. And the three scientists, I don't think, are out to F her over. But I think there's been a limited amount of testing doing this. So did you press her on that at all? Uh, I didn't ask her about that specifically. But they did hire a private investigation investigator to buy one of every burrito on the menu. And they tested those burritos and none of them turned up for Nandrolone. I mean, it's just a fascinating case, right? Because either she's a fraud like Floyd was, like Lance, like I'm going with cyclists, but, or it's just terribly sad and unfortunate, right? I mean, she's, and she, I think she's screwed because from what I understand, this Swiss Supreme Court almost never overturns these things. It's, a, it's like a procedural thing. But even if it gets overturned, it's just like Alberto Salazar. Like I just, they're we hear the whole cheering again. She's very likely convicted. So whatever. What I would like to see, and if we have her on the podcast, this is what I'll say. I don't give a shit about the ban. I think the four-year ban should be reduced down to three. If she wants to sit out three and come back like Justin Gatlin or Kiprop or whatever, she can do that. Those are the rules. I've always believed in the lifetime bans. If you can prove that someone absolutely – like if, you have, if, you, if they take EPO 
there's no other explanation for it, ban. If you have proof of them injecting it, lifetime ban. But I think the rules are for one Olympics for a major drug ban. I think it should be one Olympics. But what I would like to see, and I've said this before, is prove to me you did this clean. She very well could have been a steroid user, in my opinion. She very well also could be clear. I don't know. The story, to me, is incredibly unlikely, but it's also incredibly unlikely that she had even had a food truck the night before that had pig awful. It's also during COVID, so maybe the food supply is weird. I don't know. I don't know about it, but Floyd Landis lied about this stuff. She could be lying too, but we've only raised $12,000. Will you use that money to be drug tested every single day for one calendar year while you train all out? If you will, I will consider equaling that $12,000 donation with Weldon's permission. I don't know how much it would cost to do that for a year. We drug test her every day for a year, and I want to see her break 1430, and I want to see her break 355 in the 1500. If she does that, I'll believe she's clean. I mean, she's going to break. She ran 354 in the World Championship final, fu- chasing the fastest woman in the world. You really think that's a fair expectation for her to do that? And then even if she does it, Robert, there are going to be detractors saying she's going to have the vestigial benefits of taking drugs earlier in her career if she's been doping for years she's still going to be that's not going to convince anyone people could say that that's fine okay maybe 355 is a little fast okay under four and under 1430 and john she can get male pacers it won't be hard to do we, she doesn't have to chase she, we can get hell we get the newberry park high school team out there and just have them run around her and and, and do the do the v formation for her and see if she can break i need to go back on this message board thread but i want the people on there who know a lot about drugs or some people they're talking about Deca, and I don't even know. They know these like SARS or SARMs or I don't know. Like one of you people, email me. We at let's run.com. I really want to know what, what you think and what's going on. Because some of them seem to know what they're talking about, think she's guilty, but some people if you're in the drug world, you probably think everyone dopes, right? If you actually have doped yourself, like, oh, it's pretty easy to do. I have no idea. Okay, guys. We got we're gonna have a huge Friday 15. We got a huge I used to say nothing happens in December, but that's no longer the case with Valencia, maybe the second best marathon in the world this weekend, the running lane high school championships, the sound running XC meet, the USATF half marathon championships, Connor Mansoff are still out there, BU 5K, it's going to be great. So we got a second podcast for supporter club members breaking that stuff down on Friday. Be sure to get that. Anything else we want to talk about now, guys? I think we've gone on long enough, and it's time to end this thing. No, I do have one question. I always like to say something I learned on the message board from the message board this week. This one's not really what I learned, but what I may or may not have learned. Do you think this statement is true? It was on the thread about me wearing the super shoes, and people were saying, like, who do I care what some 50? Someone said, aren't you over 50 and over 200 pounds? by the way I looked. No, I'm under 50 and under 200 pounds, by the way. But someone else defended me, and I was shocked by how they described me. Would you guys say that the following statement is true about me? A guy with a big running background who has essentially dedicated his life to and slash career to distance running, follows the sport closer than almost everyone, and probably provides the best running information news results in the United States, and likely the source of the info that you use to, say, to stay current certainly has more weight to his opinion and review of a pair of shoes than you, especially on his own website. But what struck me was the beginning of that. Have I dedicated my life and career to distance running? I hadn't really thought about that. 
I think of my dedication in life and career is to entertaining the masses. As I say, making a boring sport fun one week at a time. Unlike Facebook, unlike Twitter, you can call us 1-844-LET'S-RUN-OPTION-7 for the secret voicemail. Seriously, guys, call in. It's an easy way to win a free pair of on shoes. We had another Mike Smith call in this week. I gave, I just sent out the shoes to the fake Mike Smith. We had another fake Mike Smith call in. He didn't make the cut. I'm sorry. I, I had to draw the line. I just didn't think it was good enough. It was too long, too. If, you're, if, you're not, if you don't have the accent and you're too long, i got to cut you off. So my apologies to that guy. And don't forget the runnerbox.com. Link in the show notes. Use code Let's Run 21 to save 10 bucks. Or, hey, I was cramping up last night in bed. Do you know what I realized? It's been cold the last few days. I have not been running, so I didn't drink my drink element. Drinklmnt.com slash let's run free sample pack offer. Six different flavors. Check it out. Electrolytes without the junk. Robert, John, till we do this again on Friday. And if you want to listen on Friday, you got to be a supporting club member. Cyber Monday special, 25% off. Use code CLUB25. Let's run.com slash subscribe.